Our next guest specializes in refueling energy and ambition so that we can create greater success and feel confident in control of our lives. Better listen in. Building spirituality, family, health, and business. This is The Giant Builders with Lois Wyant. Hey, Giant Builders. Glad to have you today. And our guest today is Roz Popo, and he is an author of a book called How to Rewrite Reality. So how are you today? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm fine. Tell us a little bit about your book. It's something I, I started working on based on crazy, wonderful things that were happening in my life. And I realized that we can shift and change reality and people do it all the time, but they don't realize they're doing it. And when you start to do it consciously and just instead of just unconsciously out of habit, you can start to create anything you want in your life. So people just don't know that this is easily accessible. There's, there is training you have to do for like building your mental muscles, but oftentimes you're creating good things and bad things and just not realizing it just because it's something you do and you don't re you think it's well no it's just circumstances it's just what happens to me and i've learned no there's nothing that happens to you that you don't at some level want to happen to you now how it happens to you can be different you don't control the how but you control the what and it's all based on these little stories we have running around so for some person, it could be the story is that um, no one ever listens to me. And so through your life, you've noticed, well, people just don't listen to me. They, they don't pay attention. But then you don't. what you don't realize is you will unconsciously put yourself in people that you already see are distracted and don't listen to anyone so that you can justify your story that they don't listen to me. Oh, yeah. that's tricky. <laughs> yeah. If we're used to putting ourselves in these situations, how do we break that? Whenever you notice that there's a pattern, a certain story that you say, and it could just be a cliche you use, uh, but that that's something you're creating. So people have stories like, I always find the best parking spots I hear from a lot of people. That's a story they create for themselves. But no one ever listens to me is also a story. I never get a break. I can never make the money I want. My bank account's always empty. I struggle all the time. These all are stories that you are actively creating, but you think, no, that's just the way life is. For an example, these things start when we're really young and there's an inciting incident that causes the story to get put in place. And you don't realize that that's what's happened. So like imagine a little girl on a playground. This example is actually in my book. And she's just sitting there minding her own business. And this little boy comes up and, and smacks her and laughs and runs away. Now, we don't know why that happened. That was the inciting incident. And it could be that he likes her because oftentimes little kids, little boys will slap little girls. And that's because they don't know how to uh, to court, I guess is the word. But it could be that um, there's a game of tag going on and he's just trying to get her in on it. It could be that there were some other kids that dared him to slap her, right? But all she knows is some, some kid came up from, from behind her, slapped her, and ran away. And she decides, oh, 
boys don't like me. So now she's created this belief from this one incident, which is her interpretation of what happened, not even possibly not even what happened. And she says, boys don't like me. So now now that she's got this new perspective on life, she starts going through life and looking for evidence to confirm her belief. So whenever a boy teases her or treats her badly, she's like, look, boys don't like me. But whenever boys like don't treat her bad or don't treat her good, she's just in the area. It's just white noise. It's just what's going on in her life. And it doesn't invalidate what's going on. But if a boy does treat her well, then she'll start thinking, what does he want? What's he trying to get out of this? Because I know boys don't like me. So whatever actual evidence of that belief shows up, she ignores it and frames it within her belief that boys don't like me. When she gets older, she'll start dating. She'll be attracted to guys that she can see aren't interested in her because boys don't like me. There'll be other boys that are really, really interested. And she's like, oh, no, I'm just not feeling it. When she gets into the workforce, she'll look for jobs where the bosses are misogynist because boys don't like me. And then when she's looking back at her life, she'll see all this evidence that points to boys don't like me because she ignored the evidence of the opposite. And this is how she's creating her reality. And this this is a big thing in how she's functioning unconsciously because it's not just about romantic things. If we have a story of life is always a struggle, I don't have enough money, then you will miss opportunities to make money and you will go into opportunities where there are struggle and you don't even know you're doing it. You're just like, I don't see those opportunities. And that's what we're doing. Oh my goodness, that was so deep. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I'll start because some little kid hit her in the head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is there something that we could do as a parent to help a child change this reality? There's two big things. Number one, as a parent and as a person, notice what stories you're running because your kids buy your stories. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now, also notice that they will buy your stories, but interpret them the way they want, just like that little girl interpreted what she wants. The second thing is notice what your kids are saying. The things they're saying over and over again are their stories, and you can help get them out of their stories. But with, with the first part, with them buying your story, there's I had three siblings come to me one time, and two girls and a guy, and I was. I said, like, I can work on all three of you at the same time because I can often do group sessions. They're like, no, every one of our sessions is completely different. So you need to work on us one at a time. We'll pay you for each session. I'm, okay. So the first one was always fighting with her husband. And she's like, we're always fighting. I can't stand it. I, I, I'm thinking about getting divorced, but this is just what's happened. We're always fighting. And I traced it back to the fact that her parents always fought. So her belief was that parents always fight in a relationship, you must always fight. So she was picking fights with her husband because fighting is love. That's the interpretation she took away from it. So even though consciously she hated it, unconsciously she's saying, oh, look, we love each other because that's what my parents taught me. That's what love looks like. The second one couldn't get a date because her parents always fought. And she thought, well, if I fight, I'm going to, if I get into a relationship, I'm going to fight. Now, she didn't think that love is fighting. She just thought that relationships mean fighting. So while she was trying to date people, unconsciously, she's like, no, look, we're going to end up like our parents. 
So no, no, no dates. And and she's just frustrated. Why can't I have a, a steady relationship? And the third one, the 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 the, the mother, he had uh, fainting bouts. And so of course they thought there's no way that's related to what they have because he would just pass out every now and then under high stress. Well, when he was really young, he was trapped in a room with his parents. He wanted to get out and they were fighting. And the only way he could think to get out was to just leave his body. <laughs> so he just went unconscious. And now he uses that as a defense mechanism whenever things get really, really stressful. Because the only way you can escape fighting is to just pass out. So all three of them had the exact same experience with their parents from their parents' stories that fighting is just normal in a relationship. And they came out with different things. Once it cleared, everyone started having different experience. The brother never passed out again. The sisters were able to have better relationships. But it all stemmed from the stories their parents were in. So notice what stories are you teaching your kids? What are you telling? Because sometimes you're doing it out of love, out of concern to protect your kids, right? It's a hard world out there. You've got to be careful. You've got to be on guard all the time. Oh, no. Like that's <laughs> that puts your, your kid in a fight and flight response constantly. Mm -hmm. right? And and so you've got you to look at what you're saying, what you're doing. But more importantly, what are those stray thoughts that pop into your head? Because those stray thoughts are the clues to what the actual stories are, no matter what you keep telling yourself consciously. So I read in your information that you say the problem is actually the solution. Yeah. What, what does that mean? So just going back to the examples, I, I said the problem with the brother was he kept passing out. Mm -hmm. But that was actually the solution that he had created to get out of stressful situations. Right. With the sister, the problem was they were always fighting. Well, that the solution was, well, now I know I'm loved. Right. And your brain prioritizes emotional, uh, like the avoidance of emotional uh, distress over being in physical circumstances. Right. So <laughs> your brain will choose making you pass out over being stressed about people fighting around you. Your brain will choose making you poor instead of feeling guilty for having lots of money while other people don't. <laughs> it's, it, it goes to the emotions. That's what it cares because your brain doesn't care about the physical anyways. It will, it will make you physically sick in order to avoid an emotional situation. So when you have a consistent problem in your life, you have to realize, no, that's actually the solution for an emotional problem I'm not looking at. This sounds like it would be really hard to change. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, this is this is the thing over 90 percent of the people that even discover what the problem is have uh can't change it right this is, this is because people don't know that this is an addiction right it is it is a physical addiction and it works on different levels number one is even if our story is horrible when it happens we get to be right and people love being right. <laughs> okay, So I've seen people choose being right over being rich, over being healthy, over having wonderful relationships. Right. So this is the thing. And it's, it's not just the ego thing. Every time you're right, your brain hits you with dopamine. So you get an addiction to the story you're in, whether it's good or bad. You can get addicted to good stories or bad stories. But once the addiction's there, your brain doesn't care if it's good or bad. It's just like, I want my dopamine fix. Right? So... So if the kids always tease you at school, 
then you have to find ways to be in front of the kids you know are going to be causing the teasing so you can get teased so you can feel horrible on the surface but get your dopamine fix underneath right so man that's hard (laughs) it's hard but i went through this myself i used to get stopped at the borders all the time whenever i was crossing a border and and some of the guards admitted because i was black right so i'm just getting stopped but then my coach said, well, this is just your story. And I'm like, racism's not a story. He goes, no, racism is real. But the way racism affects you is your story because it's always at borders. It's not while I'm driving and I'm getting pulled over. It's not I'm getting denied jobs. It's just when I'm crossing, I'm like, oh my God, he's right. That's my story. And when I realized that and I said, I'm done with the story, I stopped getting stopped at the borders. Like sometimes it can be instantaneous if you're in that frame of mind and that focus. I'm like, this is done. Other times, you're going to get caught up in the addiction and the withdrawal. So I had to get my fix of people being interested in me by doing cooler things. So people go, oh, wow, that, that's really neat. And they're interested in me as opposed to, oh, my God, that happened again. Oh, poor you. Like, either way, I got a fix. Right? But I figured, let's get the fix for good things. The other thing is everyone has a default emotional state. So you're going to go through all sorts of emotions through the day, but for the most part, you are happy, frustrated, angry, sad, helpless, whatever it is. And what actually happens, this is uh, talked about in detail in um, Dr. Joe Dispenza's book, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Your cells create receptors to receive the chemicals associated with a specific emotion because it's trying to create a condition of homeostasis where everything just is flowing and the same thing over and over again. If you are frustrated most of the time and you want to become happy, once you start being happy, those chemicals associated with frustration aren't getting to your cells. So your cells send a signal up to your brain. So make this person frustrated. You find a reason to be frustrated. Your cells go, oh, thank God, that's great. But you're like, oh my God, I was trying to be happy. Why am I frustrated? So when you try to change your emotional state, you have to overcome the withdrawal of the old state. And that could take days, weeks, or months until your cells realize, oh, we're not going to get those chemicals anymore. Let's change the receptors for the dominant emotional state and get those chemicals. And now you're addicted to a better emotion, whether it's happiness, joy, gratitude, whatever state you've been putting yourself in the most. Now imagine that life where you're happy most of the time. And if things upset you, your cells say, hey, this person's upset. Send a signal up, make them happy. And you return back to being happy. It sounds <laughs> it sounds so wonderful, but it's just like my brain cannot grasp the concept. So like I need to really tell myself in the mornings, you know, okay, today I'm going to be happy. And I have to like keep repeating that concept in my mind to. No, it's. This is the thing. People try to do affirmations and affirmations can work if they're done right. But if you want to be happy, just do things that make you happy. Okay. Like that simple change in actions. I watch cartoons in the morning while I eat breakfast. Right? Like <laughs> People are like, we do what? Yeah, I watch cartoons. And sometimes that breakfast is a kid's cereal, especially like on Saturday mornings. I just revert to childhood <laughs> and just enjoy myself. But I've, I watch things that make me laugh, that get me excited, that inspire me. I, I hang out people that, that are inspiring and funny. And so I, I engineer my life 
for education, inspiration, and laughter. And as a result, that's become my dominant state. There is not one day that goes by that I don't have a big belly laugh. My body is addicted to that conditioning. And it's wonderful. It didn't used to be that. I used to live in complete frustration, a lot of anger at, at one point in my life. And now it's just like, oh, no, I'm happy. And, and even if things aren't going great, people are like, you know, you've got this issue going on. Why, why are you so happy? I'm like, because I'm just happy. That's who I am. And because of that, the issues that show up in my life tend to go away really quickly. I read in one of your papers that you say that people should be less responsible. Yes. Okay. Tell me about that. Okay. People love being responsible, but responsibility always feels heavy. It always feels like a burden. And so I'm not saying be irresponsible. I'm saying stop being responsible and move into choice. So for instance, parents, it's like, okay, I've got to be responsible for my kids. No, you don't. There are a lot of people that are completely not responsible for their kids. <laughs> so, so when you stop being responsible for your kids, but you think, I love my kids, I want them to do well. So I'm going to choose to help them. I'm going to choose to make sure they get the right education. I'm going to choose to support them. I don't have to. I don't, it's not a responsibility, but it's just something I want to do out of love. That feels so much lighter and easier and more empowering than, well, they're my kids. I have to do it or I'm a bad parent or people will look at me and say, what the hell is wrong with you? Why don't you take care of your kids? Like All of that is the way most people think. I have to do this. I'm bad if I don't do this. And you're going to the negative rather than, you know what would be really cool? If I got my kid to learn this, that would help them in their lives. Right? And again, think of the emotions that are associated with, I have to, I'm responsible versus, to, versus this would be cool. I would think this, I'd love, I'd love it if my kid knew this, or I know my kid would love being, being given this opportunity. It's a completely different shift. And you can do this with raising your kids. You can do this with the job you want. You want. You can do this in staying in a relationship. People are in committed relationships. Well, I've been in this relationship for six years. I've got to make it work. No, you don't. <laughs> it's it's up to you. If you're in choice, you can sit there and go. Well, of the six years, you know, five have been great. The last have been pretty bad. So, do I want to stay in the relationship and or and try to work out why it's gone bad, or am I done? And and then you just make that choice and see how it goes. And, and when you look at it, well, the five years were really great, then something must have shifted. Let me try to figure that out. And you can often get to that space of, okay, I'm going to find a way to do this because I want this and I love this person as opposed to, oh, I just have to like, what are people going to think after, after six years, like just marriage falls apart or whatever it is. And this is what, what happens with a lot of people. You're just so worried about what other people are going to think about your decisions and your actions that you're not choosing the actions that work best for you. Oh, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. So tell me what a first meeting looks like with you. A first meeting with me, we, we go through what the big problem is in your life. And we start to identify how that's a solution. And it could be a solution in one big way or it could be in a solution that it supports all these different things in your life. And so it's this wonderful solution that helps you uh, not be embarrassed and be safe and not have, have to work so hard and, you know, not have people judge you. So there's all these things you can wrap into it. And the way we do that is when I have a conversation with you, I can tell when your conscious beliefs match your unconscious beliefs. So I know whenever you're lying to yourself. 
Oh. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm not trying to call you out and say, hey, you're a liar. But if you come to me and say, Shiraz, I want to make a lot more money. And I say, no, you don't. Then <laughs> I'm not saying you're lying to me. I'm saying you're lying to you. And so that's a very common thing people come to me with. And some of the, the, the common responses for that, when we start digging in and I start asking questions, are things like, well, if you make a lot more money, how are people going to respond to you? I said, oh, they'll be happy for me. It's like, everyone going to be happy for you? Well, no, I know some people are going to start asking me for money. I know uh, in my family, they're going to say, I've got to be more responsible to take care of the family. I know some of my friends are going to say, can you invest in my business? And then you're going to get the charities coming up. Can you give to me? And, and you can just see their whole energy is dropping. It's like, I don't want to have these conversations. I don't want to be guilted into giving money. And of course, your subconscious tries to avoid guilt. So it, it causes you to make just enough money that you don't go into guilt or shame or, or horrible emotions. And you think, I can't get past this financial barrier because I don't know how to, or I'm not giving the skills or people are interfering with me, but it's really, no, this is the safe spot right here. I can't go past this or I'm not safe. And there's other things like if you've made a lot of money in the past and you lost it and you're carrying the shame of it, your brain says, I don't ever want to feel that shame again. So I have to make sure I don't make that much money again because then I might lose it and I'll feel the shame. So we'll, we'll, we'll stay right here with the safe zone. So there's all these different reasons people don't actually want to make money. And we start pulling them out so that you can be aware of them. Once you're aware of them, you can start to change them. But when you start to change them again, you've got to go through the withdrawal period to get into the new state of how you are with money or you're just going to fall back. Have, have you ever gone to a workshop or retreat or gone through a course or something and you've come out of it and you're feeling different and you're getting different results and things are going really well, but after a while you lose it. Yeah. So that's what happened is that you changed, you got into the new awareness, but then the, the withdrawal kicked in and pulled you back to what it's used to and feels safe. And that's what happens with most people with my programs. I, I've, I say, we, you're with me until we get through the withdrawal, right? Like that's it. And so my, my personal transformation program has a hundred percent success rate simply because I don't let you go until we're done with the withdrawal, right? So, right. I, before I discovered this, I'd have people that came out of the program, their lives were different. Then they'd come back and they'd say, you know, it worked for a little while, but it was gone. And I was like, what, what is going on? What is happening here? And it was just one of my clients that he said, one of his big problems was everything went wrong. Every single day, at least one thing would go wrong and he couldn't figure out what was happening. And it turned out that he prided himself on being a problem solver. So in order to have value, what does a problem solver have to keep attracting into their lives? Problems. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so something had to always go wrong. And so when he started to see his value as more than just a problem solver, and then the problems just started to go away. But after a few weeks, he called me back and he said, I had some problems show up. And I, and I was really curious because I said, you sound happy about that. And he goes, oh, yeah, I was really happy. And I'm like, why are you happy that problems are showing up in your life? He goes, because the first week or so, everything was great. There was nothing going wrong and it felt amazing. But then after the time went by, I started to get anxious. Where are the problems? And what he didn't realize was that was the withdrawal kicking in. And by uh, like four, four weeks or so in, he was so anxious and wondering what was going on that when a problem happened, he felt relieved. 
He's like, oh, there's the problem. Oh, thank God. So now his body kicked back in. It's like, oh, this is what we're used to. This is what we love. Good problems. Bring them back on. <laughs> so, How does one deal with those withdrawal issues? So I give people specific exercises. I have focusing and brain training exercises I give. Plus, when you start to slip back into the old stories, we have regular sessions. So I pull you out of those stories. So between me pulling you out of the stories and you doing the exercise, and, the, and they only take like 15 minutes a day. It's not like it takes up a whole bunch of time in your life. Mm-hmm. With you doing those exercises and me pulling you out, we get you to a point where you're out of withdrawal, you're staying out of withdrawal, and eventually your cells change, the neurons in your brain change for the new patterns of how you're thinking, and then I let you go and things are different. And they stay different until you decide, you know, this was good, but I want better. So let's change it again. any closing thoughts basically going back to what we talked about earlier is find ways to be happy all the time right happiness is actually makes you healthier it brings in better results and you know it just feels good and most people think they have to be working hard and frustrated and and doing all these things in order to be successful in their life or to show people they're making a difference And really, the happier you are, the more you empower people around you to be happy as well. How can people get in touch with you? You can go to energeticmagic.com. It's energetic magic. (laughs) uh, Yeah, and uh, you'll find information about me. And you can even book a free breakthrough session to find out what your biggest blocking story is. So you can start to change it. Great. Well, thank you so much. That was very enlightening. I think that was very informative for me as far as understanding the thought processes. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. It's been fun. Well, great. All right, Giant Builders, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. This has been The Giant Builders with Lois Wyant.